Welcome to the Mindstream Podcast, exploring the facts and the stories around mind-body-spirit pathways to greater health and happiness. I'm your host, Liza Haran. Episode 7 of the Mindstream Podcast features a conversation with Claire Gilman, the editor of Kindred Spirit Magazine and author of many books. Her journalism and publishing career has focused largely on health, and we'll hear her insights on how the public's perception of wellness has grown to mean much more than our physicality over the last few decades, and we'll hear her take on where the mind-body-spirit movement is today. That's coming up. The first episode of the 2020 season of the Mindstream podcast was released on March 9th, just weeks before lockdown. And since that time, 2020 has taken us for a wild and unexpected ride. It's been uniting and dividing. It's been a time of disconnection and connection. It's been uniting because we came together for a common, invisible enemy coronavirus. We came together to support the carers and those on the front line, including grocery clerks, delivery companies, cleaners. We came together locally as our ability to travel was diminished, hanging out with neighbors, enjoying drive-by birthday celebrations, and visiting neighborhood shops, cafes, and restaurants when they opened. We've come together for common causes, like fighting against racism and for equality and economic equity. We've been talking about accountability and double standards as we encounter people who don't follow government directives on social distancing, wearing masks, and obeying travel restrictions. Some of those people have been strangers and others have been our own governmental leaders. We've also been divided, divided by those topics and by political matters like Brexit and hotly contested elections. We've been divided by fake news. Where's the truth? We've been divided by barriers to communication like social distancing and face masks. And we've been divided by place and space, missing out on human touch, which is a proven boost for feeling safe in times of threat. It's also been a time of disconnection and connection. Yes, we were disconnected from life as we knew it, from others in person, from that sense of adventure in our daily lives as we go about errands and such. It used to be that we never knew who we might meet, who we might interact with, or what might happen. And those unplanned elements are often what makes life interesting. We miss those casual encounters. But perhaps we've also found connection within ourselves by reconsidering our choices and our lifestyle or rediscovering the values that inspire and drive us. Perhaps it's meant connecting with each other in new ways and with activities we previously deferred. Perhaps connecting with what's truly important 
and then simplifying and streamlining life. What is certain is this, the way of life that was will never be again for two reasons. Number one, the pandemic has shown its power. It wasn't the first pandemic and it won't be the last. It has tested us and it has become part of life as we know it. Next time, we'll be prepared. We'll know what our part is to try to prevent, contain, and manage the spread of a virus. Number two, each of us is different because we have lived through this experience. We are living through it. We may still be in process trying to resolve pre-COVID life compared to where we are now and what may come to be, but maybe we've established new ways of being, of thinking, of interacting, or expressing ourselves. The question before us is this, how will we emerge? How will I emerge? And what does this mean for the mind-body-spirit movement? There is reason for optimism. The happenings thus far in 2020 have drawn conversation about what's right, what's wrong, for beliefs, for behaviors, and what are the consequences of thought and action. Where does responsibility lie? What's my responsibility? What is the responsibility of others? What is the responsibility of our leaders? And where is the accountability? These conversations have brought to the fore conscience and consciousness. Conscience is about values, ideals, morals, and our choices. Consciousness is about awareness an awakening. And it starts very personally with ourselves, and then others, and our environment, and our own interactions and place in this world. Imagine if all of us gain an awareness of our own truth during this time. We talk about it, share it with others, and find that we have a collective sense of right and wrong that we deliberately make choices in line with our conscience, explore that sense of responsibility, and create a system of accountability. We are all connected. 2020 has shown us in stark terms just how each of us can affect the experience of another. There's great responsibility and power in that. There's opportunity. So yes, 2020 has forced change upon us. There's no doubt it's come with much suffering and uncertainty. 2020 is not over, and we don't know how long the pandemic will be a factor in our day-to-day lives. But we still have time to find our path and decide, what kind of future do I want for me? What kind of future do I want for us? It has confronted us with one key question. How will we emerge from this? How will I emerge from this? And now for the good news segment, I'd like to share some research that will help 
all of us cope with pandemic life. These studies show how we can build resilience, reduce pain, and lift our mood. Research shows that resilience can be boosted by exercise. A study in the Journal of Neuroscience showed that when mice exercised, they produced a neural protein called galanin that helped them respond to stress. So the takeaway is that a habit of exercise helps your brain's resilience in times of stress. Acupuncture has reached a new level of acceptance in the UK as a treatment for chronic pain. The National Institute of Health and Care Excellence, which releases guidelines that the NHS uses, surveyed 27 studies and found that acupuncture reduces pain and improves the sufferer's quality of life in three months compared to a placebo. Acupuncture is much safer than opioids and other painkillers, and it's also much more affordable. The NICE committee also found that cognitive behavioral therapy is a significant help for alleviating chronic pain. On the topic of reducing pain and feeling good, there are three more studies I'd like to share with you. Research out of Coventry University looked at the habits of churchgoers in the UK. Participating in religious rituals can stimulate the body's own natural opioid system to relieve pain and boost mood. It creates a feeling of pleasantness, euphoria, and social bonding, which mimics a runner's high. Another way to feel good and reduce stress is to do one session of mindfulness per week or to put some live plants in your front garden. A study by the Royal Horticulture Society and the universities of Sheffield, Westminster, and Virginia found that putting live plants within your view can decrease your perceived stress up to 6%. And that is equivalent to doing one mindfulness session per week. And they found that 52% of those who did that were happier, 40% felt more relaxed, and 26% felt closer to nature because of the greenery. However, if you don't like to play in the dirt and you don't have a green thumb, no worries. You can benefit from nature even by watching imagery of it. A study out of the University of Exeter was published in the Journal of Environmental Psychology, and it found that people watching nature programs on television or through a virtual reality headset benefited. The participants felt less sadness and less boredom when they were presented with nature programming. And those who participated in the virtual reality group, they reported positive feelings such as feeling happier and feeling more connected to nature. When was the last time you had a really good laugh, a real laugh out loud moment? Or do you find that you don't smile quite as much as you did? Well, if you're between the ages of 23 and 70, unfortunately, this is normal. Researchers found that the average four-year-old laughs as many as 300 times a day, whereas the average 40-year-old laughs 300 times in 10 weeks. How do we go from 300 times a day to 300 times in 10 weeks? 
The authors of Humor Seriously, Jennifer Aker and Naomi Bagdonis, say that the collective loss of our sense of humor is a serious problem afflicting people and organizations globally. Laughter releases chemicals in the brain that reduce stress, and it also makes us better bosses and employees. In fact, they call humor a superpower in the workplace. Professor Aker said, We have research to show that humor when you're at work is not only helpful for increasing people's respect for you, but also building bonds and sparking creativity so you can think in very different ways. So, your assignment is to get laughing, whether that's scrolling through YouTube videos, having a jokeathon with your friends, or making a list of some really, truly funny moments in life and sharing that with someone who was there. Did you know that 69% of deaths are from preventable diseases? This is extremely high, just a staggering number, and we should be able to do something about it. The Global Wellness Institute is doing something about it through an awareness campaign called the Wellness Moonshot for a world free of preventable disease. Mindstream is participating, and so can you. Go to mindstreamconnect.com and click on Wellness Moonshot. There are ways of getting involved. Firstly, you can learn about each monthly theme on our website and submit your reflections on that theme. We joined in September when the theme was Renew, which is absolutely apt for 2020. When I asked, how can we emerge from this experience of 2020? It's very much about renewal. In October, the theme was move, but moving with intention. And for November, the theme is nurture. We'd like to hear from you. What does nurture mean to you? How do you nurture yourself, others, the planet? What about nurturing ideas? And December's theme will be thanks. We'd love to get your reflections on all of these themes, just go to mindstreamconnect.com, click on Wellness Moonshot, and feel free to comment on one of the stories from the previous themes or submit yours for the theme that's active when you visit. And then join us for the Wellness Moonshot phone call hosted by the Global Wellness Institute. Their goal is to have 1,000 people from all over the globe on the monthly Zoom call. I'm going to be there, and it's really an uplifting hour. There's meditation, there's research presented, there's even breakout rooms to talk about each theme. We never know what this call is going to bring. The October call actually had us all up on our feet dancing the twist as Chubby Checker played in the background. But there was reason for that. We were moving with intention. So please join us. You can find all the details on mindstreamconnect.com and click on Wellness Moonshot. I attended the Wired Health Tech Conference, and I'd like to share three highlights that really wowed me. Yes, this was a tech conference focused on health. And I think the biggest takeaway is that as much as mind, body, spirit 
is about natural solutions to health and happiness, technology is here to serve us. So it's really important to understand what it offers. I wasn't surprised that there was all sorts of cool innovations, but I was surprised and encouraged to hear how person-centered holistic care, ethics, and common kindness, the golden rule, were part of the presentations as well. How about ultrasound through a smartphone? It's happening. It's here. It's now. Dr. Eric Topol of the Scripps Research Translational Institute talked about how he was able to scan his body and find that he had a kidney stone. He's a cardiologist, so he was speaking doctor to doctor, even though he was a patient. And he shared his symptoms with his doctor. And then he said, I have a kidney stone. You want to see a picture of it? Just imagine if you had an app and some tool you could plug into your phone to scan your body for a mammogram, for instance. The technology that is working for smartphone ultrasound involves artificial intelligence. And Dr. Topol believes artificial intelligence can make medicine more humane. It can spot growths. It can recognize patterns in data that humans cannot. This is also about individualizing healthcare. By taking the approach that every patient is unique, it means doctors will be able to take into account a person's genes, their environment, their behavior, and their lifestyle, a holistic approach to treating patients. Gene editing has almost gotten as easy as fixing a typo. Cut out the bad stuff, paste in the good stuff. That's what CRISPR technology is all about. You may have heard of CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R. It's a genome editing technology. And the women behind this Jennifer Doudna and Emmanuel Charpentier have just won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry for gene editing. These two ladies are the first women to win a Nobel Prize in Chemistry. Jennifer Doudna was a speaker at the Wired Health Tech Conference. She gave equal weight to the great opportunity the gene editing technology brings, as she did the ethical considerations. And she really underscored her commitment to being grounded in ethical practice. The third highlight I'd like to share from the Wired Health Tech Conference was a talk by Professor Agnes Benagwahu. She's a doctor with an impressive list of roles that she's held, including serving on Rwanda's National AIDS Control Commission and being their Minister of Health for five years. Now she acts as Senior Advisor to the Director General of the World Health Organization. She's been named as one of the 100 most influential African women for 2020. She talked about Rwanda's efforts for COVID-19. And what struck me about this is that it was a very holistic approach that Rwanda took, and they had great success in preventing the coronavirus from being spread. So what did they do? 
They used robots and drones for basic functions so medical teams could be freed up to deal hands-on with patients. Communication was a very large part of their prevention and containment effort. She said even their cities act like villages. The leaders were able to communicate with the population so they understood how the contagion worked and how they could protect themselves and protect each other. And they have such strong community ties in Rwanda that it actually worked. And it really gave me the sense that Rwandans have such a communal fabric that they act for the collective good, not for their own individualistic well-being, something we can all learn from. And now let's join the conversation with our guest, Claire Gilman. Her 30-year career has included being a journalist, a magazine editor, a book author, and a writing coach and mentor. She's currently the editor of Kindred Spirit Magazine. Her books include The Healing Therapies Bible and You and Your Aging Parents. She's also an editor and coach with Jericho Writers. Claire, welcome to the Mindstream podcast. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. You're a real veteran of health, well-being, spirituality in publishing. And so uh, we're really excited to have you here today and to really hear your perspective on where things are where they've been, and perhaps where they're going in this area. Can you begin by sharing with us a bit about your career? I started in journalism in my early 20s. Even though I didn't train in journalism, um, I sort of fell into it, which is something you could do back in the day, certainly not now. So I was very lucky and very blessed because I've had a wonderful career in writing and journalism. And back in the 80s, I was editing Health and Fitness magazine. And that was the time when complementary therapies and alternative therapies, as they were called then, were starting to come in. And it was something that I was very keen to incorporate into the magazine because we had a strong health element, obviously. And it became my specialism, if you like. It was something that I brought into the magazine and focused on rather than all the nutrition and allopathic medicine I concentrated very much on the complementary side and the natural health side. And it's gone from there in many ways. That has always been my way in, if you like, into the compassionate living that we cover in Kindred Spirit magazine. So spiritualism, the esoteric, how we relate as people, that has always been a personal interest. And Kindred Spirit allows me to meld the natural health specialism with all of those aspects, because it has such a wonderfully broad brief. And I have been in the industry for a very long time. It's been very good to me. Some of the books that I wrote, I was commissioned to write by Hodder, books about how to get published and how to write nonfiction. And it seemed a natural progression to also then pass on the, the experience that I have to others who are trying to get into the industry. And that's how the Jericho writers and, and private coaching came along. And that has been enormously rewarding, I have to say, because um, to be able to help others to move into a career or to move into a, a field that I've had so much pleasure from has been great. Oh, that's great to hear. There's been an absolute 
boom in the mind-body-spirit area. And so much of this writing is first-person narrative. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in this writing space? Is this a matter of developing the next generation of writers? Or does this genre of personal storytelling cut across all ages? There's no barrier, age barrier, to writing. So it's, yes, a lot of youngsters do give me their manuscripts or submit manuscripts and want to be published. But, you know, it's one of those things that's so precious to people and it's such a something that is so close to people's hearts that often they don't have the courage to do it until they're in their later years. And they certainly don't have the courage to put it out into the, into the open world because it's very revealing putting something that's so close and intimate into the public domain. So... People are actually sending in manuscripts from the youngest age, from the te- their teens up until then, 80s. And that's wonderful. First-time writers. Nielsen Book Monitor came out with a statistic based on research in 2017 that showed that overall book sales were down, except for one category. It was the mind-body-spirit category, and it was up about 12%. It is one of the few areas of growth in publishing. It's a very tough climate for publishing at the moment, but mind, body, spirit is one of the areas of growth. And I think that's for several reasons. I think people had uh, lives of plenty, if you like, relative affluence compared with previous generations. We felt like we should be happy because of this belief that the more you have, the happier you will be. But... Obviously, people are realizing that this is not making me happy. I'm not feeling as I thought I would. And I think a lot of people are then turning to the mind, body, spirit areas to think, well, what is it that's missing? And looking for guidance into how to have a more harmonious, happier life. And then cherry picking. Self-expression is very easy today because everyone's a publisher, whether it's a blog or on social media, everyone's a broadcaster on YouTube, Instagram, TV, and many people are going the self-publishing route. Everybody's eager to get their story out there. It's great that people want to express themselves, which I suppose helps people connect. Uh, Can you address that? And as you say, everybody can be a publisher now. Everyone can get their thoughts out there. It is something of a double-edged sword because we have no quality control. And if we only ever use people's self-published work and they're not a trained journalist or they're not a, um, a trained writer, then very often what you're getting is just opinion piece. Mm. So a journalist, when they're writing on a topic, will always quote experts from various sides of the argument so that you have a balanced view. They're not making a a judgment. And then the reader is able to do that themselves. The problem with having all of the information that you get from stuff on the internet or self-published books is that very often then it is just one perspective and it is just one point of view and it's one opinion. So, You have to be careful about your sources if you're going to be looking for all of your information, the things that inform your opinions from self-appointed experts and self-appointed publishers. That is such an important point. And what about personal storytelling? The power of storytelling has always been immense. And in the past, 
our oral tradition was all we had. Mm. Not only was your culture passed down through oral storytelling, and you got a sense of who you were from that, but you also had the myths, which were allegorical stories, which gave you a view on how you live your life and the dangers of living it a different way. So we had life lessons in storytelling. And it's wonderful to see that storytelling is making a resurgence. It's really coming back strongly, as is poetry. Because poetry, lyrical language that speaks to us on a different level, is another way of informing us without hard facts, without the flashing of screens. It's wonderful. So I'm a huge fan of storytelling in in all its forms. I think one of the reasons why personal story is so important, especially at a time like this, although we have greater communication because we have social media, we have the internet, at the same time, we are more removed than ever from community, from support networks. Yes. So we're out there, everyone's out there, but what is out there is the face that they want people to see. And what you find with personal story, especially if it's told from the heart, if it's a heartfelt story, is that we recognise it. We recognise the authenticity. And we see something in another person who is not an expert, but it's just another Joe Bloggs on the street like you or I. And we think, firstly, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person who feels like this. I'm not the only person who has reacted in this way and, and I feel guilty because I did. And secondly, Well, if that person can overcome this obstacle, if that person can do it and they're just an ordinary person in the street, then so can I. So they're inspirational and we take strength from them. And Triumph Over Adversity Stories, which are so, so popular in the personal storytelling genre, give us all hope. The one thing about human spirit is that doesn't matter how bad your start, doesn't matter what you're facing, In these stories, there is always a redemptive quality. And that's what we need to hear to give us the strength to have those experiences in our own lives. You've summed it up so beautifully. Uh, These are huge, huge themes. They have the power to serve others. It's very interesting because the vast majority of manuscripts that I see or people submitting to Kindred Spirit who want to tell their personal story because we have a section in there for that, the theme that runs through it is that I want to help others by telling them my story. So there's always this sense of let others benefit from my experiences, let others also hear my story and hopefully it will give them some some benefit and some hope. But as a writing mentor, it's very interesting because the story is of course of, of great importance and it's so precious to that person. But you have to look at a manuscript with a professional eye as to whether this is a story well told whether it is marketable, without losing its authenticity, it has to also be readable. So there's this double approach, if you like. Yes, commit everything to paper. If you want this to be out there helping as many people as possible and reaching a mass market, as opposed to perhaps just helping family or those who know you well to understand your background and your motives and what you've been through. If you want this to be out there for the mass market, then I recommend that most people seek some professional help in getting their writing out there. How you make it as accessible and as useful as possible to the general public, that's where a writing mentor and coach comes in. The key themes of 
triumph over adversity, harsh beginnings, domestic violence, sexual abuse as children, all of those things, people feel a great need to write about that. And others who find themselves in those tragic circumstances very often benefit from reading about other survivors of those those situations, which ties in very nicely with kindred spirit. What I often find is people writing about their personal transformations. Often there's been something cathartic that's happened to them, something dramatic that's happened to them that has caused them to reevaluate their lives. And then they go on a personal journey to find out more about themselves, how to find peace in a modern world. That's a very strong theme that we have that runs through Jericho writers and again is echoed in Kindred. Kindred spirit is very much about spirituality. It's also about well-being, health, and it's also about consciousness. These seems fit together very naturally, don't they? Many people work through the progression of addressing a healthy body. Then they start to look at an unhealthy mind, and this leads us on to a healthy approach to spirituality and where we belong in the world. Very often people have problems with their health and it gets them into some sort of health crisis, leads them into looking at having a more holistic approach to their body. And if you're looking holistically at your body, then you're definitely looking at your mind. And then you look at the spiritual as well. You can't have complete health if you don't address all of the elements, the physical, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual. So one of the questions I usually save till the end, which is the perfect time to ask now is, Claire, do you believe mind, body and spirit are connected? And if so, how? I absolutely believe they are. I've seen it for myself far too many times that if one of those elements of your life is out of kilter, if you are out of whack on any one of those elements, you will not be living the most harmonious life or your best life, as we like to say now. It's just not possible. They all inform each other. I think because we are such of the moment, because humans are tangible, we like to see. Often the first thing that people look at is their health, which is fine. Obviously, there's a great deal at the moment because of the lockdown, because of high-profile patrons such as Duke of Sussex. Mental health is very much to the fore at the moment, as it should be. People are finding that they are struggling through lockdown. People are finding that they're struggling through still being dissatisfied when all of those other things are covered. Yes. So then the emotional and the spiritual elements are looked at as well. But you cannot look at them in isolation. We have to look at all of our lives holistically. And that doesn't mean that you can't still be in the world in the 80s in this field, in the 90s. What's interesting is that back then, you were either in the esoteric camp, you were either in the spiritual and the natural health camp, or you were in the world and having a career. And we didn't have such integrated lives as we do now. That's been one of the most wonderful developments over my career, is seeing that people now can embrace a lot of this stuff at whatever level and bring it into their everyday lives. But it doesn't stop them living in the real world, having careers, having families. They don't have to devote everything to an esoteric life or a spiritual life. And before it was a very much an either or, whereas now it's very much an and as well, an addition, something that enhances your life. That's great. So there's been a real openness. These things have come into the fore. I think mind, body, spirit is still suffering a little um, skepticism 
that there's a need to understand by the public and even traditional healthcare institutions have a bias against some complementary and alternative and natural therapies, but it's not siloed as it was before. So it's great to hear that there's been an integration. Credibility is a big point here. Kundi Spinnett covers such broad topics. We cover everything from fairies and unicorns all the way through to quantum science. And all of that comes under the broad umbrella of compassionate living and well-being and everything in between natural health and all those things. And it's impossible to be an expert on all of those topics. I can have an interest in a lot of them, but I can't possibly be an expert on all of them, nor would I want to be. What's interesting is that there are some things that completely resonate with me. And I think, oh, gosh, well, I'd, I'd like to train. I'd, I'd love to be one of those. <laughs> Other things I'm thinking, mm, that really doesn't ring my bell. But it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be in there on merit if it's helping other people. So the criteria that we use for inclusion in Kindred is that we always go to leading experts in the field, but we also work on using our own intuition over tuned over many years on what's authentic and what isn't. Where people are working ethically, where people are working from the heart, where people are working with great respect for their clients and their customers, that's one of the things that we use as a judgment on whether something is included. But then we have to leave it to our readers to make up their own minds on whether this is something that would interest them, that they would like to know more about, or whether it's something that really isn't for them and they can't believe that anybody would be mad enough to try it. It's really very, very personal. And it's very interesting. that Again, this is something, a sea change that I have seen over the years is that people were great purists in the past. It was my way or the highway. You know, it was my modality is the only way. And I believe in it entirely and completely, and it will work for you. And we're quite dismissive of, of other modalities. Whereas now people are much more happy to be integrated, to be used alongside other things, for people to, to cherry pick what resonates with them to accept some stuff and reject others for them, not for everybody, but for them. And that's, I think, a very healthy step. And that's what we try to do with Kindred Spirit magazine, is give people a smorgasbord, if you like, of what's out there, using the best people within those fields to represent their modalities, to represent what it is that they care so passionately about, and then allow the reader to decide whether that could be good for them or not. I thought it was very interesting that the first choice you have on your navigation is consciousness. And consciousness really brings together the scientific community, as well as philosophers, as well as spiritually minded people. It's one of those really hot topics that everybody is talking about and everybody is trying to discern. There's great steps being made in the scientific fields and get these, these scientists who are brave enough to embrace this topic and investigate it further in the early days were absolutely ostracized by their colleagues or mocked and laughed at. But there's been a change. Quantum science is making huge strides in our understanding of consciousness which is great. And for those people who are very scientifically minded, yes, we should all be sceptical about things. That is our intuition. Yeah. 
And I wouldn't suggest that any of us just take things on face value. We should all use our own judgment about whether something rings true or not. And for those people who are reassured by the scientific explanations, that's great. But they are scientific explanations of wisdoms and teachings that have been known for thousands of years. It doesn't make those wisdoms or teachings any less valuable or any less true. We are a society now that puts great store by science, as we should, and it's made, it's made our lives so much easier and healthier. But the science itself does not alone make the wisdom of previous generations true or untrue. I think the two sit side by side, and if it helps you to have more trust and faith in consciousness and a greater understanding of it because a scientist is explaining it and that way it helps you, then that's great. If you prefer to come from the more mystical side or the philosophical side and that helps you to put your faith in something that helps you, then they're all of equal importance. They're all of equal validity. Humanity is sort of in school right now, <laughs> learning to respect what we've been given and to look inquisitively and to be curious about it. And science is also taking that approach. Science is catching up to the mystical and we're having more respect for tradition. We're learning about this equipment, this physical equipment we've been given, and that includes the mystery of consciousness. Do you have any thoughts on this? Yes, I, I think it's, it's wonderful that we are becoming much more inquisitive about what makes us tick and, and the equipment that we have, as, as you put it. You know, the fact that there is scientific debate, philosophical debate around where the seat of our essence lives, whether it's in our brain or is it in our gut, all of those things. And, and different people have very strong views. And what's interesting is that there's research to being taking place all over the world now, scientific research, to try and prove various theories. But whilst all that is going on, and the philosophers are still debating it's great. And just because we kind of left behind the age of the guru in that we no longer need to be told how to think, mm. we still look to those that we have trust in for their views on things. But it doesn't mean that you have to accord with all that they say. You can make your own mind up on certain things, trust your intuition on certain things. And that's what's leading us into this uh, more spiritual way of living, if you like, in that we are trying to find out more. We are seeking advice from those who've been studying these things for many years or who are, um, are well versed in those areas. But we're also making up our own minds. And I think that's fantastic. It's a significant shift, isn't it? It is. It is a huge shift. And it's a very exciting age. And, and a lot of people, rightly, are worried about the future of the planet and mankind and all of those things. But the very fact that those things are being talked about now in more holistic terms, that's such a positive change. That is 
a new way of thinking because people didn't talk about these things openly in the past. So even though we may be concerned, just the very fact that we're all talking about it is this growing movement towards doing something about it. Yes, and uh, the great thing about the internet is that the planet is now connected for communication. Just even George Floyd's murder sparked equality and racism and police brutality, conversations and peaceful protests all over the world. So we are coming together from many different cultures to talk about common themes. And I only see that as a positive thing. Yes. I think anything that makes us think about our humanity Hmm. rather than our, our culture or our upbringing or, or where we live or our small world, anything that makes us think about our humanity has to be a good thing. And for all of us, it doesn't matter what your age, to question yourself, to keep questioning yourself is so important. And that's one of the things I love about the readers of Kindred Spirit. They have inquiring minds. They are curious. And like all of us, they, we don't always get it all right. But if you're, if you're still willing to accept that you may have got things wrong and there may be a better way of doing something, then that's the very first step to a more tolerant society. Mm, Well said. One thing that has brought us all together in 2020, of course, is the pandemic. I would like to see if you have any thoughts on how we are being changed by this in the realm of all the topics that you cover in your work. I think the obvious ones are this is a health pandemic. And so people have looked in the first instance at whether they're leading a healthy lifestyle. And so nutrition, natural health, vitamins, supplementation, all of those things have obviously been of more interest. So we've always made we've made sure that we've included a lot of stuff on actually on your health. That was the first thing. I think the pandemic has affected everybody on an emotional and a mental level. Having restrictions put in your life that we've never had before having the influences of being on your own, the issues of loneliness, the issues of all these things to do with mental health, depression, an uncertain future, anxiety. That's another thing that's been huge after lockdown. People are are anxious about whether they should be going out, anxious about how they interpret the, the regulations, anxious about returning to work, all of those things mean that we've focused also on the mental health issues and and very much on change and how we deal with change because everyone's lives have changed so dramatically and so suddenly and not of their own volition. Right. So dealing with change, dealing with resilience, dealing with understanding the nature of change and that it's that is the only one constant. But how we how we react to it is very much something that we deal with in the magazine. There are so many traditional practices that you can incorporate into your life that will help you to deal with difficult emotions and traumas. So there's an awful lot of this out there. There's a wonderful thing that has come out and there is some good stuff that's come out of it. 
is that we've seen on a smaller scale in communities some amazing acts of kindness. We've seen people going away above and beyond sense of community that we've not had for many years. All of those things that are coming out and people are recognising, these are our default settings. This is who we are. And people are starting to get back in touch with those and starting to think, you know what, I don't want to stay in lockdown. Nobody wants to stay in lockdown. But some of the things that I've discovered or rediscovered, should I say, in lockdown, I don't want to lose when I go back into normal life or whatever normal life is in the future. So we are discovering a great deal about ourselves and what it is to be human. And that's, I think, a blessing in a very dark time. You know, they say that, let's say you're overworking yourself, you're pushing yourself really hard, whether it's on the athletic field or working and approaching burnout, that if you don't stop, if you don't take a break, your body will force you to do that. You'll get an injury, you'll get sick, something will happen. I wonder if that's what's happened to us collectively, because we have been running 24-7 as a planet, as a society for so long, and this was a forced stop, a forced time to pull back, reflect, whether we wanted it or not, to regroup, and to really slow down. And you're right, it did force us to care about others. We had to act to protect ourselves as well as others. I think collectively, everybody has had to reevaluate how they lived their lives prior to COVID. And a lot of people have actually decided that perhaps the way they were living their life previously is not something they want to return to, or there's elements of it that they don't want to return to. And that there are things that they've thought about and contemplated in this time because we've all had to readdress things in our lives, reevaluate things. And it's almost like the universe has put a stop on the chaos and the hurtling headlong towards destroying our, our natural world. Just seeing how nature responded so very quickly yes. is hope for the future. We haven't got to that tipping point. We're close to it. We were talking earlier about some people need evidence. Some people need the scientific evidence before they'll believe. So we've had this strong lobby of people wanting a greener world, people wanting more respect for nature from the spiritual and point of view, people who um, have uh, belief in more naturalistic uh, traditions. They've all known for a long time and they've been saying for a long time this is getting so out of hand that we cannot go much further before it's irretrievable. But for those who never embrace those philosophies, to actually have physical evidence before your eyes of nature coming back, of nature thriving whilst we shut down temporarily, of people being able to breathe again and see the mountains, which they couldn't see because of the smog, We hope that on governmental levels, world leaders will take note, but also on a personal level, you can take more responsibility for how you live your life so that we are more in balance with nature. So COVID has given us a pause, pause for thought. Let's use it wisely. (laughs) We need to use it wisely. 
I think one of the things as well is that on an individual level, we've always felt so powerless. We felt impotent to make a difference. But you're starting to see that small acts of kindness have a huge ripple effect. So how you live your life, what you do with your recycling does make a difference, albeit small. And if everybody adopts a more responsible way of living, a kinder way of living, we'll all have more harmonious lives. Whether someone calls it that or not, that's a sense of spirituality. Yes, this is a collective disaster, but we are all one. I'd really love to hear what are your favorite disciplines, therapies, modalities, practices? My daily practices, and sometimes they're not daily, sometimes they slip, but I I aim to have them daily, uh, is meditation. I have a dog, so I walk every day, and that is my time. I consider it a physical meditation, but it's certainly time for contemplative thought. That's really important to me. I practice healing amongst my own close circle, and I like to dabble with the tarot. I have crystals that I'm drawn to or people give to me on my desk, my little altar in my office, and supplementation as well. I do try to eat healthily, but I do try different traditional herbs and supplements that I think will be useful for me because I suffer with arthritis and I find things like turmeric and CBD oil seems to be working for me at the moment. It's a real mishmash of things. I have to say, I'm afraid I'm a cherry picker like everybody else. There's a lot that could happen within healing. For instance, I was in a power of eight circle and it was a healing intention circle, whether it's in-person healing or it's remote healing. I'd love to just hear a little bit more of what you mean by the healing that you practice. I used to sit in a healing circle many, many moons ago, but uh, now I just practice amongst my own small circle of family and and friends and I practice a form of energy healing which has evolved over the years. I believe in absent energy healing, in the power of prayer, all of those things, those are important to me in living my life. It always sounds a bit cheesy but the overarching thing for me in all of this thread that runs through all of the stuff that we write about is an intention of kindness. It's being as kind as you can be in your life on every level. And whether that's to yourself, to others, to the planet, the theme that runs through it all is kindness. Do you feel there's a real opportunity right now for the mind-body-spirit movement? I absolutely feel that this it's been borne out by the fact that the, the only growth in publishing is mind-body-spirit. I think there's a huge opportunity for people to get on board who never had any interest in the past and that people who are already in this movement, people who are already involved in this huge field should welcome them with open arms. What I I see sometimes is people who've been in this industry for a long time, when youngsters come along and they suddenly, they're enthused about something that they've found the the old dogs are rolling their eyes like oh gosh you know I I was doing that 30 years ago you don't you're reinventing 
no, encourage them, encourage them to think that they've found something and that this is great for everyone because they're spreading the word. And this is what we need to do. So that's what I'm excited about is that more and more people are finding things that can enhance the way they live their lives. And doesn't matter what area it is within the mind, body and spirit field, if it helps them to lead better lives, happier lives for themselves, but also to touch other people and touch their lives in beneficial ways, then it has to be a good thing. So I'm, I'm optimistic. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much, Claire. I really appreciate you coming on to the Mindstream podcast and sharing your wisdom from being in this profession for so long. And, and I know it was a personal interest too. So yeah. uh, to, to bring those together in your integrated life, it's really fantastic. And I want to thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I've enjoyed it. As usual, the transcript of this podcast will appear on mindstreamconnect.com with all the links of places and people mentioned. Has 2020 been transformational for you? I'd like to invite you to share your story on mindstreamconnect.com. Just go to the website and under the blog menu, click on share your story. We can all learn from each other's experiences. The Mindstream podcast is put on by mindstreamconnect.com. Thank you for listening. This is Liza Haran signing off with love and light. Music